Welcome to the Freudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud that impact people and businesses. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC, and this month we're going to take a look at the ever-changing landscape that surrounds personal privacy. In particular, what individuals can do to keep their information private in an economy that is fueled by personal data. Just last month, the California Attorney General released a new tool to help consumers complain when websites fail to make it easy to take advantage of that state's new privacy law. That law requires a business to have a link on the homepage that is clearly marked, do not sell my personal information, so California residents can opt out of data sales. Joining California on the list of states to give consumers more privacy protections are Virginia and Colorado. And California's already strong privacy law will become even stronger in 2023 when legislation approved by voters goes into effect in that year. Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York are also looking to pass similar strong privacy laws. Let's not let this subtle point pass us by. Voter approved. The new California law was approved by a wide margin in 2020, and there is ample research that proves U.S. residents want stronger privacy protections. But who's going to provide them and who will use them? Helping us to navigate the troubled waters of online privacy is the ITRC's CEO, Eva Velasquez, and Rob Chevelle, co-founder and CEO of Abine, an online privacy company that makes tools for consumers that control what personal information companies, third parties, and other people see about them online. So thanks to both of you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here, James. Well, yeah, I'm going to start with you, Rob. This this concept of protecting privacy has always been somewhat elusive in the United States. You know, we know we have a right to privacy, but we're not really sure what it means, and we're not really sure who's responsible for it. But it looks like now things are evolving to the point to where individuals are beginning to take responsibility and companies are taking responsibility and governments are taking a little bit of responsibility. So tell, tell us what Abine does in this environment to help people protect themselves. Yeah. I'm, I think, um, you know, it is, it is going to be a shared uh, responsibility to return to some sanity uh, level of equilibrium between the data about us that's out there and what a normal voter, uh, just like you mentioned, uh, you know, many of them uh, are pro-privacy, uh, what a normal voter would consider, uh, you know, acceptable. And uh, so what we do and wh- where our goal lies is to make it easier for regular uh, average people, I uh, include myself in that uh, group, um, uh, not, not technical experts and not privacy nuts, uh, uh, to, um, to get a reasonable amount of, uh, of privacy around their data and their digital life, increasingly uh, uh, a life that is uh, lived online and offline, uh, but creating one a giant data set about us. Eva, over the time of the ITRC, we've sort of seen these attitudes about privacy change a bit. And that easy part 
is is kind of wrapped up in the middle of that, isn't it? Well, I yes, there's been a tremendous evolution in the attitudes. I mean, 10 years ago, us privacy-centric folks were kind of looked at as having this fringe attitude or or we're, you know, being tinfoil hat paranoid and um, I remember being in a meeting just, I think it was about six years ago, uh, where we were talking about um, just some strategies. It was, I was sitting in a, with a group of other business leaders. And one of the comments was made when I brought up, are we looking at the privacy implications of what we're doing? And, oh, you privacy people, how do you ever get anything accomplished? And I don't hear that anymore. When I bring up the privacy aspect in these conversations, I, I am not getting that level of pushback from um, business leaders and, and decision makers. And additionally, at your average consumer, because people are so uh, involved in, in just living, to Rob's point, living online, and because we've had so many large-scale data breaches that have made headlines, that's you know put these issues in the forefront of people's mind, and because we've had so many victims, the victims of things like identity theft, scams and fraud, cybercrime, that are all identity-based, these people are feeling the results of privacy um, and lack of transparency, these privacy practices is not being properly applied. So they're hurting and it's concrete and tangible. So they are looking for, okay, now they have, we have an understanding that this is important and I know what it means, what the harm is because so many people have experienced it. And now we're at that next step. We're at that next part of, well, what do I do about it? And how can I figure this out? Because it's complicated. So I, I agree with you that we have to talk about the easy piece because I think that's where we are in this landscape. So, Rob, you've you've waded into this this uh, this swamp willingly, where 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 we do have this the all these competing interests between you know what is the government going to do and what level of government because we don't have a federal privacy law in the U.S. We're now starting to see state privacy laws. The private sector has taken it on itself, companies like yours and, and actions taken by companies like Apple uh, with the, the changes they've made in the mobile phone to be able to track and not track um, uh, data. And then, and then consumers are, are now either by, for one reason or another, they've come to this point where they want to protect themselves as well. So when you decided to walk into all that, what were you thinking? I. <laughs> uh, I'd rather not answer that question. I plead the fifth, uh, but 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 I would I would uh, nod my head when um, Eva and and yourself uh, are referencing a massive change in general consumer attitude. Uh, if you compare ten years ago to today, uh, when we started uh, the company, Facebook was still a private network that didn't accept. Uh, uh, everyone that wanted to create an account and had not IPO'd. Uh, now, uh, you know, they're making more money than most countries uh, each year. Uh, and that is through data sales. So everyone at, at, at some uh, level understands today in the modern economy, everyone's after their data. And the real question, as you point out, is what are, 
what can they do about it? And I think we're still at that stage where people are scratching their head and saying, I don't know the answer to that. There are consequences when data gets out. Now, is, is that a failure of we don't have the right privacy protections? Is it the failure we don't have the right, the right policies and procedures? Is it the right tools? Or, um, you know, and, and are there a way to, to, to prevent those, the consequences of these kinds of, whenever, whenever the, something does fail, is there a way to prevent those consequences, the negative consequences? Well, the short answer to the first part of your question is just yes. <laughs> it's all, you know, it's it's all of those things because, and, and I'm glad to see that we're seeing this kind of convergence of privacy, cybersecurity, and, and identity authentication. We're starting to look at it more holistically. Thank goodness, because they're all intertwined. And you know, so it really depends on the situation where the where the failure truly lies. And I, I think it's hard to pinpoint something specific. You know, in the case of a mass data breach where there's an actual vulnerability that's exploited in a system, of course, that's a cybersecurity issue. But you can also, you know, if you step back a little bit and go, well, did you need all of that data? It, you can't uh, lose what you don't collect. And so I, I think the the failures are, you know, it's systemic. And I do want to bring up something because we're talking about sort of the, the failures of these inadequacies and what the consequences are. And I think the general public has the notion of, oh, well, I could have my data misused, but they don't know how truly serious it can be because we don't talk about this enough. Let's, let's think about victims of interpersonal violence, things like stalking, um, domestic abuse, where they've gotten away from the abuser. These are people where privacy, it's not just a luxury. It's not just a, I don't want you to have my data because you might try to sell me something I'm not interested in. Their physical safety is at stake. And if, if apps or things that they are trying to use, their devices uh, are not telling them what's being collected and who it's being shared with, they do run a risk of having their physical safety violated. Because let me tell you, some of these perpetrators will go to great lengths to find out where their their former um, spouse, partner, insert, you know, relationship name here, they will go to great lengths. So these the fact is that when these things fail, they can have real world consequences on people, even on their physical safety. And so I'd like, you know, I'd like us to look at this problem holistically. And in a way, privacy is where it all starts. If we knew what was being collected about us and who had it and how it was being shared, we might opt out, especially in the case of some of these folks uh, where their physical safety is at risk. Well, that, that brings up the central question. You mentioned it there, Eva, but Rob, it's this uh, this concept of data minimization. That's not really something that we're very good at, <laughs> particularly <laughs> you know, when you get into the private sector and the economy. You, you, you mentioned Facebook where, you know, they, they generate more income per year than many countries. If, if Facebook were a country, it would be like the third largest in the world. Um, but most of that income is generated based on the data that they collect. Um, either people voluntarily provide it or it's, it's collected about them as they move about you know, the Facebook website and other, obviously a lot of other companies do the same thing. 
So this concept of data minimization, how does that play into what what we should be thinking about when it comes to personal responsibility? Is it our job to just give people less data? Uh, or is it the business's job and the government's job to collect less data? Well, it's not the business's job. Um, the business's job is to make as much money as possible. And they're going to continue the trajectory that they've been on for a decade plus, which is to collect as much as possible. Um, just look at our IoT devices in our homes now, uh, Amazon Alexas and Echoes and the TVs. They're just slurping up you know, a thousand times the data uh, that they were uh, from us in these new uh, areas like our home uh, five years ago. So no, data minimization is not going to happen uh, from um, from industry. Uh, and it is doubtful going to happen uh, in, in, in a serious way from government. Uh, and, 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 you know, when it comes to individuals taking responsibility uh, for giving out less data, it is um, it is a difficult task as well because they're not uh, responsible for the aggregation across their activities of data. They're focused on each thing they need to do today, and rightly so. I mean, people uh, cannot live their li- lives, uh, you know, in fear of. Uh, giving out data because that's part of, uh, you know, daily life right now. And, and, and frankly, it's unrealistic to, to think otherwise. So, um, so I've painted a pretty pessimistic, uh, picture of data minimization. What do I think is the, uh, you know, the, the right approach going forwards? I think it's a combination of, uh, the new laws that, uh, you all have talked about giving consumers, rights to control uh, the data that third parties have gathered about them as in combination with services, making it easy for those consumers to affect their rights. You cannot make this really work in practice unless you have both sides of those coins working together. And, you know, James, I would just add one more facet to that. And that's just the transparency issue. Um, and, and perhaps that can be addressed with, with policy and, um, regulations, but if people don't know what's being shared with them and how it's being used, they can't make appropriate choices. Um, and, and consumer attitudes are very different about the trade-off with, you know, what do I get in exchange for my data? And some people are fine with that exchange and other people might make a different decision if they had a better understanding, if they, if it was really easy to understand what's be, what am I creating when I'm engaging in this activity online? Where's it being stored? Where's it going? Who's getting it? And we don't have a good handle on that. We don't have a good mechanism in place. So I would, I would add that to the other two. And I completely agree with you, Rob, that those things um, are probably the primary I mean, I think it's safe to say we have ample ex- ample number of examples that whenever one solution becomes the solution, it rarely works as well. So it's it's got to be this combination of things as you described, Rob. Of you need you need some you need some um, some governmental underpinnings, but the private sector has to be able to 
to contribute to this as well and uh, with solutions um, that help the consumer help themselves. So it's not any one thing. It's going to be a series of things. So if there was one thing, now having said that, if there's one thing consumers should be doing today, I'm going to put this question to both of you. What is that thing that they should do when they're looking at their privacy and ha- and they're concerned about their privacy protection? What should they be doing? So Eva, I'm going to start with you. And Rob, you're going to get the last word. Wow, I only get to say one thing. I, I think let's start with the basics. Just understand that free, especially online, free isn't really free. You're paying for it with your data. So then decide if you want this quote unquote free service because it's not free. Agree with Eva. The <laughs> word the, the word I'd use if I only get one is compartmentalize. Meaning do not give all or a substantial amount of your data representing your activities and your life uh, to any single entity. Because the more you do that, if you're an Apple person, a Google person, an Amazon person, whatever, the more you rely on one big tech company to provide you a whole lot of services, including the ones that Eva is saying might be advertised as free, but other ones might be paid, they can build up a incredibly detailed profile about you and a license to sell that data. So compartmentalize, use one company for this, another company for that, uh, I think is the uh, smartest approach uh, and one that doesn't uh, prohibit users and consumers from doing anything that they want to do. Oh my gosh. Can I change my answer to Rob's answer? Because I think that is the most concise and God, such good advice. Okay. I'm changing my answer to Rob's. (laughs) Rob wins the day. (laughs) Well, um, Eva, Rob, thank you for joining us today. It's, I think it's been a great conversation with some good information that will be helpful to people. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. This was a great conversation. Thanks, James. You can learn more about how to protect your personal privacy as well as get help if you've been a victim of an identity crime by visiting the ITRC's website at idtheftcenter.org. While you're there, sign up for our emails that alert you to the latest scams, monthly data breach updates, and tips to protect your identity. Be sure and join us next week for our weekly breach breakdown podcast and next month for another episode of The Fraudian Slip. Thanks for listening.